Bonjour and welcome to Being Métis, Episode 7, a chat with David Chartrand. After hunting him down at a Métis economic conference, I had a chance to sit down for a nice chat with the president of the Manitoba Métis Federation, David Chartrand. He shares that the MMF's long-term goals, we talk about federal politics, self-governance, and baloney. We covered lots. The leader of the Manitoba Métis has a lot to say. Then we'll also hear from musician Justin Beribo, who wrote a breathtaking song about a Métis woman being left behind by a European man. Plus, she'll share her fear in finding out for real, once and for all, if her family is Métis. All that and Justin Spirit Plus on this, the seventh episode of Being Métis. Whether they know it or not, when a Métis with Red River Roots gets their Métis membership through the Manitoba Métis Federation, they fall under the leadership of David Chartrand. For the last 20 years, he has been the leader of the MMF in numerous accounts in the courts, in healthcare, in education, and housing, with relationships with the government all over the place. He has been leading the MMF. He's been rebuilding a Métis nation from the ground up. The MMF has a lot of services to offer and has fought to regain Métis rights that were previously lost in the federal system. He, along with his board and now close to 800 staff, are trying to create a stronger nation-to-nation relationship with the Government of Canada. We'll talk about that and what his work means for future Métis and their relations in government and at home. To understand what it means to be Métis, I knew I had to sit down to understand what his vision was for the Métis. I also wanted to see what else I could pick up from him that could maybe inspire my own Métisness and involvement in the community. A lot of what forms identity of Métis in the last 20 years comes from the vision of this man. We touch on many subjects, and to me, he seemed quite honest and sincere, even when I asked him what he had for breakfast. That's a, that's a good way to start a day. Yeah. Uh, the president. Yeah, the eggs and bologna. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you save so much money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bologna is so expensive now. It's more expensive than steak. Bologna is expensive bologna's now? Bologna is very expensive now. Holy I was a deli boy for a long time, and yeah. I remember that was the cheapest. That, that was, was a cheapest. good staple of most people today. It's one of the most expensive. Because they know that people are actually pursuing that, and they know it's the working poor that will be buying it. Okay. So the, the price of bologna actually is quite expensive now. Look at that, learning yeah. everything. Yeah, trust me, look at it. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Price is unbelievable. Yeah. Okay, my next research project will be on there. <laughs> okay, I'm going to include all of this in the documentary. We're going to learn, we have learned so much. I should take more notes. <laughs> um, but, um, all right, so let's sure. get started. Sure. Sounds good. All right, so I'm sitting here now. I'm in David, President David Chartrand's office. Thanks for having me here. Hey, you're welcome. Um, uh, pretty good for a young Métis to get into here pretty quick, so I appreciate your time. Um, <laughs> right time, right place. Let's yeah. put it that way. <laughs> Met you at the conference and perfect timing to catch each other in the corner. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Well, you wanted to hear you wanted to hear from the youth, so I yes. figured I'd, I'd come and hang out with you a little bit. That's, I was very um, pleased that because actually I did stay longer than I, I planned on the conference in Winnipeg, yeah. uh, University of Winnipeg, because I, I had to actually come back uh, some other engagements here. Mm. But the youth were placed into the last part of the portion of the conference. That's why I actually stayed right to the end, because right. I actually want to hear their perspective. Yeah, it was yeah. good. I heard yeah. you made that yeah. when you were making that comment on there. But uh, Well, you know, it was interesting to me when I heard the youth speak there. And there, these are different making youth. One particular was interesting, because that one just found themselves. But the other yeah. two really kind of know their history and their culture. But when they were doing their presentations, what really, so I really want to hear what they're saying. Because we've been trying to really bring in the youth more into the uh, the political governments yeah. governance of our of our operations in a sense of knowing the issues understanding the issue why we you know take issues on the way we do why do we take on hard lines on when people insult us or disrespect the meeting why is it we protect our history so vigorously so uh, so in a sense we're trying to draw in the youth so they get to understand who they are why is it that we're in this sort of a call it confederation at this point in time in history. Where are we at? Where are we at? Why are we there? Why aren't we higher up in the economies of scale, for example? Why are, why are we stuck in this little, this little yeah. kind of, um, where, uh, where, where we don't see the graph moving itself up. Yeah. We see there's a, a growth ratio. Yeah. Like why is it the Métis are, are the working poor? Well, so what about this? That's I what drew me there to stay there and listen yeah. to this. I, di- I didn't think we'd get into this this early, <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, you know, a lot of things. And, and and I know you you're you're working with federal government now, yeah. and you have to be doing all that. Um, but let me ask a question that's actually been burning, sure. and I did not think it was going to be my yeah. first one. Yeah. Um, 
you know, is working, you know, the Métis set up as, as distinct people, right? They set yeah. up as their own people. And through the work of Louis using sort of, let's say, colonial-style government, mm -hmm. um, you are able to set up like that. So, you know, a, a big question I always have is, um, because we're so, you know, almost paternalistic, right, with the federal government, is that maybe why maybe we don't see that graph going up so much? Because we're, we're dependent so much on... On, on no government? On, yeah. No, on it's yeah. completely opposite. Yeah? It's not because we're dependent on government. In fact, government won't give us anything. So, so really, the the essence to people also misconstrue history in a sense of thinking just Riel. Riel is the most one of the most famous Métis people and always will be, right? But you have to go all the way back to Cuthbert Grant, right, in, in 1816. Yeah, and, Battle of Seven Unraveling of the Métis flag, the one of the oldest flags in North America, oldest flag in Canada, for sure, without doubt. It's 201 years old, the Infinity Flag, the Métis Infinity Flag. So, the Métis Nation, uh, you know, they say at that point in time, really stem the identity of who we were, that we're a different people, a new nation yeah. in the West. And so that whole issue of debate that occurred right at that instant was the battle of independence, the battle of free trade, the battle for us to protect and develop our, our economy and to ensure our nation continue to be allowed to, to perform the business we're good at. And so somebody was trying to create a monopoly over us. So that, so the real issue of the Métis Nation already originating is coming from that era. And then it's times the, the Sayer trial even stabilized it further. So Riel's father actually was leading the charge this time. Yeah. And, and so when they try to charge him, you know, for again, free trade, uh, and, and, and they let him go. But it wasn't even the judge, it was a magistrate, right? But then it's Riel comes back because of the upbringing from his father and, yeah. and always standing to defend family, Métis family and the Métis Nation. So. So this new nation is being established. The essence of understanding its history is, is prevalent for the young generation today. I think those people today, like I said, when I was listening at that youth uh, speak at the conference in University, I was taken by that middle speaker from Winnipeg that, that actually said, well, I'm new. It doesn't matter to me, like in some yeah. stuff, right? And I, I'm sitting there. It does matter. Right. If, if, if everybody took the attitude you're taking right now at this moment representing the youth, it doesn't really matter. It does matter because if you don't understand what it is we're fighting for uh, and where, why we're fighting the fight to find ourselves in confederation, where do we fit in to this country we help create? Why is it that we've been pushed out and shunned out for uh, over a century and, and we're still fighting to find our place today in society and, and, and to, fit, to figure out how and when can we actually find our rightful place? And, and the challenge we face is that uh, for example, the land claim, right? It, uh, we joined, and it wasn't because they were kind to us. Canada wasn't kind. That's a, so the federal government really has no say over us. federal government actually denies our very existence. They, after, uh, after Batash, we disappear in history. There's no talk of us for over 50 years. Right. Because John A. Macdonald said there'd be no such thing as a Métis or Afghan. Yeah. And, and Riel said, my people will rise in 100 years. So we know who's right now today. Riel's vision was right, not, not John A. Macdonald's. So, so, but the point at the end of the day, is when you reflect that type of situation, if you don't know who you are and what it is you're fighting for, then how, how do you how do you know where you're going? So, so how would you get uh, that's that's actually a huge question that yeah. I, I would ask myself, and I think a lot of Métis yeah. would ask themselves is how do you like I, I've personally I've gone to work in historical forts. I've yeah. gone to yeah. I'm starting to do a little bit of leather work and beading yeah. and yeah. gun hunting. Yeah. But aside from that, I'm I have a difficulty trying to connect with that culture. I, I connect with a lot of that history. I learned about Battle of Seven Oaks, or Massacre of Seven yeah. Oaks, depending yeah. on your perspective. Yeah. Um, and it, But for me to learn as, as a historical interpreter, that's where mm -hmm. I learned it from. So if you have Joe Schmo, young Canadian who's a Métis and doesn't really know, how would you say, um, how would you advise a young Métis to, to get excited about that? Well, first and foremost, you have a Métis government who's sitting here. It's mm -hmm. established in 1967 because there's no voice for the Métis. There's no one protecting uh, the nation. There's no one standing up for the yeah. people. Yeah. Back in 1960, in fact, uh, the first dam in Grand Rapids being built by Hydro, you know, they had a selection. The Métis on one side of the river, the First Nation on the other side of the river. Guess who's they plowed down? Whose houses? Who did they go after? The Métis because there was no one to defend them and no one cared. Government provincially wouldn't defend them. Federally, nobody would defend them. Mm -hmm. But if they went to the First Nation side, they already, already clearly, the federal government would step in because they were defendants of and recognizing that fiduciary relationships 
and uh, and, and under and the responsibility for First Nation, but nobody cared for the Métis. So it'd be essential for the young people today to really reflect about who and why is it the Federation standing there? What's the Federation government doing? What's their purpose? And and because a lot of times you won't find it maybe from your parents, because their grandparents hid their identity. Yeah. And but if you look at history, then they'll find out why, and they shouldn't have hard feelings against their grandparents. Uh, the great grandparents were hiding their identity. Well, I spoke and with my parents. I know my my uh, great grandma, my mama, mm -hmm. my like yep. she she knew that she wanted a better life for yep. her family. So yep. like her mom, she couldn't hide the fact that she was Métis, but yep. her, she said she was fair enough skin. So yep. she married a rich farmer from Saint yep. Joseph, and and they hid it. And my grandma, my grandma actually said she she said she knew that she wouldn't like she's happy now and reflecting on it, yep. she's like she doesn't think she actually would have had that good of a life if she would have stayed Métis. And, and, and I and I. And I I would bet uh, my bottom dollar your grandma was right. Yeah. My mayor was okay. right because, it, you know, there was a lot of hostility against the Métis people. There was a lot of uh, discrimination and, and very violent discrimination against the Métis people because of us standing up to defend ourselves and our identity and our families and our lands. So there was a clear uh, hatred towards our people. Right. And it showed in, in, in the books and history now as we really unveil the truth out of the archives and start yeah. to tell the true story. There was there was abuses against women. There was clearly a physical and and and, and actually murder uh, against Métis men, and houses were just taken right from them. Their houses were just torn, or robbed, or burnt, or uh, their possess prized possessions. They had to flood. They had to leave. They were like flood to the west. Yeah. And so a lot of people were fair enough, as your as my man is saying. Yeah. They had to hide it. Then they said they were who they were. Yeah. You know, there's a great place called Sarah Belden. And, and, and I encourage people to look at it because it was here in Winnipeg. And well, this summer, yeah. yeah uh -huh. There's a very strong Métis woman speaking out. But again, it was, a, it, was, it was a treat. Even the British Empire were treating their women differently at that time in, in male and gender, uh, male right, and female yeah. gender issues. Yeah. And so just think, imagine now to treat uh, uh, Métis women. If, you would, if you're already distress, disrespecting the, the white generation of, me, of uh, British uh, women, imagine what you're going to do to this potential native right. women that was <laughs> if you know with fair skin so so the you know people did have to hide that's why i said people should not hold grudges towards or or saying or shame towards their great grandparents or, or grandparents because it, it, they they did what they could to survive mm -hmm. and and today they're coming out they're, they are starting to come out but a lot of times their people or, or their memories can't really tell the story because yeah. they were not part of it they yeah. they had to try to disclose themselves out of that society out of that Family, like for example, I'll give you. You just said something yourself. Like right now, you say I do beating. But beating is just a general term of putting a tread to a little. Exactly. Rolling. There's no but, connection. But you, but you stop and think. I'm going to teach you something right now. There is a connection. Yeah. Now, uh -huh. when you're beating, it, it, at one time we were called the flower people, because all of our bead works in flowers. But if you look at history, all those flowers told a story, and it was a story to be told in the beadwork that was being designed for the person that's going to be wearing that particular vest or that right. particular mitt or, or whatever out, uh, uh, or, or garment they're going to be using. So if you're doing beating and you're doing it in the present to tell your story, then there's a meaning to that beating. But if you just put it through a, and just sue like you're suing a general term without thinking, without connecting to why, why is it you're beating? You know, there's a purpose. If you look at historically, the Métis were famous for their beating. So if you take that segment and start to learn and connect with that, then you'll figure out why it is you're trying to bead and why what story you're trying to tell. Then you'll start to really connect to what they, your your generation prior to you, generations before you, were were so proud of their beadwork. They were and they tell yeah. stories. So the the beads I wear in my vest today, in my jackets, if you look in inside the inscription of the artist, there's always a story in the beads. Either the one I have, my one jacket, at the back of my jacket is about my mother, and 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 things that she really supported and believed in. And, and things that, that that she did for her pastimes. And in the front, it's about me as a leader and, and me fighting and standing for the people always. So there's, so there's, there's a connection. That's, but if you don't try to understand it, you'll, then you, it'll have no meaning to you. Yeah. But if you start to really do a little bit more perspective of listening to your history and understanding your history, then you'll see the connection that's there. And it's like, uh, uh, you know, the best way to describe it is in a 60s school when they stole thousands of our children sold in the United States. When we found these Métis children, which were adults later, they told us stories in the middle of the night, they'd be crying. 
crying and crying with, with such irking pain. They didn't know why. But in their heart, they knew something was missing. And it was their family. And, but they didn't know their family because right. they were taken just as little children. They forgot their, their parents. They didn't understand yeah. what, even how their parents looked. But in the middle of the night, they'd wake up crying. And as, as teenagers, they said, and they, and, they, and, they, and they knew there was something missing. Even though they told them their parents were dead, some of these people would say, the Americans would say, you're, 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 the reason you're here is that your parents died or your parents didn't want you. Yeah. Which they didn't tell them. They were, they were robbed from their families. But they would wake up in the middle of the night, you know, probably 20 years already without any connection to their real parents, and yet be crying, missing their family. So it's, it's this whole essence of, I think, Métis people, when they start di feeling inside, digging inside of them, they're going to find that missing something. Something's missing inside of them. Yeah. And if they do a little bit of research, go to our Pemmingham publications, our lower institute uh, that we have here, and start doing some research about who the Métis are, why is the Métis in the position they are today, why do the Métis stand up and, and try to defend themselves so vigorously today, and, and, and why are they doing all these things in culture and promoting identity and all these things they'll truly begin to find, and I think it'll just resonate and connect so deep in their heart once they start to do that. But they'll never know it until they search for it. So the hi so what you're saying a lot of it is is they need to know the history of it. Like they the history is, is cause, that, cause that's one thing that, I, like I, I'm at that point where like, I learned a lot of the history. Mm -hmm. I think like I, I, I talk about a, lo a lot of that stuff uh, all the time. And, and, and then you do understand, and then now exactly like you're saying, you understand where the Métis have come from, you understand where we are now. A question that I wanted to ask you was, um, you know, obviously, we, we, what you're saying is we're trying to keep a lot of the old traditions and keep a lot of uh, of that alive. Do you see spots where the, maybe the Métis, as a government or as a, as a as their own entity, eventually wanting to be a self-governance? Um, do you see where we need to like a adopt new traditions or something where you you know that uh, the the MMF needs to grow completely new? Well, I don't know if it could grow new. I th I think what we have to reflect on we're always a self-government. We were a government back in, in the 1800s, before Canada was even here. Yeah. We already formulated our own government. There was government, uh, in fact, it was penalization. If you would miss, uh, they had to punish you with what was called, you'd be p paying uh, a penance of, of, uh, of a fine under a, which was called a louis. And <laughs> you'd pay that for missing meetings or not being uh, uh, responsible to your political positions and showing up for your responsibility. Uh, so our people had laws, they had buffalo hunting laws, and very vigorous. And sometimes I would say um, strong and hardened laws uh, that would really uh, do a lot of uh, damage to a particular family if they would break them. They were very strong, our people, in, in assuring that people were held responsible for themselves. And like, for example, if you were to uh, have, have stolen something, uh, and, 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 and one of the greatest strengths the Métis have always had is their protection of their names. Their, their names were so important to them. Like mine's a Chartrand. And say, for example, uh, one of the Chartrands uh, went and stole somebody's bread or somebody's food or something from somebody's house. They would actually take, they wouldn't just go and give you a licking uh, or beat you with a stick. <laughs> They'd actually get worse. They'd take you into a hall and a meeting and call the meeting of the, of the families. And they'd put you in the center of that room and they'd yell out your name at your teeth. You know how hard that was? I'd rather get beaten by a whip. <laughs> I'd rather be put in jail. I'd rather get a fine, but then to tarnish your entire reputation to the family name, that because you did that, and 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 if you actually broke the buffalo hunting laws, and because that was life or death for the f entire village and community, and and their economy, they they cut your they cut your uh, your horse your horse um, saddle and everything. They take it from you. And, and take your, if you don't have a horse, you don't have a saddle, you can starve yeah. at that time. Yeah. People don't think that far back. When you actually think there was no cars, there was nothing. So if you didn't have a horse, you're in big trouble. <laughs> so our people are very strict about being responsible and accountable. And, and, and I think that's what really resonates today about who we are as a people. It really connects with our issue of self-government, why self-government is important to us. And, and one of the things we've always said, we'd let no one, or no one, no one else ever define us. And, and we never will. Uh, so we would never let ourselves fall under the Indian Act, for example, to be controlled by Canada, decided and defined by Canada. Uh, it'll be our Métis governments that define ourselves. So we've always had self-government as a people. It's just that nobody would recognize it. And today we still practice it in this government today, the Métis Federation. Right. So then um, y your definition of Métis comes from within, within the MMF then? Well, our definition comes within the nation. 
The MMF is just one government of a nation. Right. So if you look at the, the MNC, the, then the I guess. Well, the Métis National Council is the collective voice of, of, of the historical homeland. Our, our, our identity actually comes from the definition that we have to belong to this geographic historical homeland that we can, we can without doubt prove our connection going back as a collectivity several hundred years into this particular heartland of the Métis. And what's usually the Dominican lands acts is, a, is the kind of mapping if you use it. And so you look at it from that context, you have to be belonging to those families that already were calling themselves as you know, in history, I'm not know if you not know, but as I said before, at one time we were called the Bastards of the Plains because we were left as ch uh, half-breed children at the time they're called, left to fend for ourselves with our Indian mothers. And the First Nations didn't want to see that now because we come with different color hair, different color skin texture, different color eyes, yeah. you know, so they didn't want to see that. So our nation really formulated because our, our fathers all left us and, our, and, and then our Indian relatives didn't want us and eventually a nation was being created without them, nobody even realizing what was happening. And before you knew it, a language was created, a culture was created, a people was created. In less than a little over 100 years, it was a people without its own language, Michif. So, so the people, and it became very military. We had to defend ourselves. So an entire nation was being created in there. So if you look at it from that degree, I think this issue of self-government, this issue of history, this issue of, 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 of recognizing our, our, our distinctiveness, it, it didn't just happen overnight. This has taken centuries to get there, but it's been a common practice. We have, for example, the most democratic system in this country nobody even takes and gives credit for. No president will ever be elected in the federation government unless it's by ballot box province-wide, and we protect that vigorously. There is no one else, non-Aboriginal or, or, or Aboriginal or Native, in this country that elects itself like we do. Everybody else is the delegate system. We, are, oh, okay. we believe strongly and democracy, and that goes right back to the, the election of the Buffalo Hunt captain every morning, uh, Gabriel Jumois, the best skilled guerrilla warfare fighter in the world, had to be elected every morning to, to be captain of the hunt, because the captain of the hunt, without that skill set being the lead, can starve the entire community. If they fail their Buffalo Hunt, it's their entire economy could have crumbled. So they had to have the best leading it at all times. So every morning, you had to be re-elected He may not have to be elected every morning around the bison hunting campfire, but he does have to be elected running as president, meaning it is the people who choose directly who will be president. Then there's a 23-member cabinet with seven regions across the province. Within each region are locals where those representatives are elected. I've never been voted in a Métis election, but I'll be paying attention now. Self-governance is here. It's not even a question about that. Yeah. Others have seen it. Others recognize it. Others are in awe of it. And but it, it, it's governments who do want to recognize that they fear it. They fear it because that means if there's a new if there's another government that's going to be recognized, which they constitutionally should be without doubt, is that means they got to share the wealth or share the responsibility or share yeah. the inclusion, and they fear that they don't want to be part of that. So that governments would try their darnest to not recognize its existence. So it's, it's, it's important to recognize Holodu's premises as a political government. We've got to protect that and always be ready for that battle that's, that's there yeah. on a daily basis. So young people like yourself, if you begin to really reflect and understand the history, you start to see why it is we fight for land claims, for example. And, and, you know, that, and I'll give you that one so young people can really att attract itself to that. And, and maybe their parents would never have to hidden, hide themselves, their grandparents yeah. and their great-grandparents would never have to have hidden their identity. Because when the land claim, after we put down our military weapon and, 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 and we decided to become part of confederation on, on that premise of commitment that our lands and, and our families would be protected and the land would be set aside for children for generations to come. So they would have that head start that's necessary to compete with the, uh, the world that's coming to them. And, but because that didn't happen, the Métis were pushed off of its rich lands into the muskegs of the north and further to the west. And so our people were always, uh, you know, uh, searching for a place to be, a place to, to, to find home. 
and this has always been their home in the heart of Manitoba, the, of course, uh, which we're sitting on Lake Winni in Winnipeg. Yeah. But if you look at it, our people had a struggle to, and there are so many deaths people never reported, so many children died because of the hardship of, of transporting the Red River cart, and all their, everything they own in one possession, one little Red River cart moving further west. Kids sick or not had to leave because of what could happen to them. So the, the, the community lost their head start, they lost their future. And I always give a speech about, if you look at the Mennonite community in right, Manitoba, yeah. okay? They, they're succeeding so, Why? so well, Why? yeah, because they were given their they land, were given, right? And they were never yeah. chased off their land. Yeah. They were allowed to live as collectivity. They're allowed to live with people protect. So is that something origin. you aim for for the Métis then to have our own like our own collective land where we would you know, house together? And yeah, uh, that that for sure has got to be part of the plan. Yeah. The, the collectivity of the nation has got to, it, it's 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 one nation and it's one people and one community. So it's going to be essential that we find, you know, we never can get the land that was. It's what do you sitting on it? How do we how do we move? Yeah, exactly. Like here, you know, uh, innocent people bought lands and and thinking that was rightfully being sold to them by government who had robbed it. Right. And so you can't now punish somebody else for government's, uh, you know, yeah. criminal action or, or, or action of, uh, moral action, if you want to ask me, uh, unconstitutional action of governments. But, but the point at the end of the day, there's going to there's gonna be hopefully a, a mechanism of a process where we can give the next generation the head start that they need. But if they don't know who they are, and, and they don't want to know who they are, you know, is, is, it, is it then right for those young generations to say, well, I still want all of that, but I don't care about who I am. I don't want nothing mm -hmm. to do with who I am. I just believe that my ancestors were Métis, and I should have a right to that. Well, I think there should be a, a give and take on that, right? Because mm -hmm. how do you feel for those that have been fighting forever to gain what's right? And I think for, for that perspective, It'd be a crying shame if people would want to just take um, what we can build for the next generation and, and for the people if all they want to take is the money and not care about who they are. Because it is their responsibility, in my view, to be the next leaders of tomorrow to protect the next generation coming after them. It's a responsibility we all have. It's not just the president has responsibility. Every, yeah. c every citizen, both young and old, have their responsibility. So I think as we build our next head start, the real head start that was given to us, should have been given to us, where we have an education opportunity that will make sure our people can choose the university they want, can afford to go to universities they want, that they can actually start a business because there's a, head, there's a process where they can turn to. They can actually start maybe becoming homeowners that as a young working poor that they never have enough just for a down payment, that there'll be a capitalization available where they can actually buy their first home as a, as, as a young Métis family couple. So you start looking at these things, that'll change the essence of the next generation. But does that mean it's all over there? I don't think so. I think the next generation then has a responsibility to remember the past, to know where the hell they're going in the future. The nation must always be protected. The culture and identity must be protected. One of the greatest things we can't forget is that, for example, if we were to lose our language, our music, our music's not written down. A lot of people don't know that. You cannot write down Métis fiddle music. You, it's not, you can't do it. The, 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 I'm not a musician, so I don't know the proper language <laughs> on it. But when There's you, improv in the, it, yeah. You can't. You, yeah, can't, you yeah. can't write the music. Yeah. And so, so, but if it died, a piece of you would die with it. And if the rest of your culture slowly dies, then you don't exist. And then to, to what did you achieve then? If, there's, if you don't, if you finally got to where you are, but you just gave up the past and the history and the identity of who you are, then it's all for naught. It, it'd, be, it'd be the, the most uh, ungratifying un fight that we've ever had for two centuries to get where we wanted, to finally get where we are, and to give it all up because culture didn't matter anymore, or identity yeah. or being Métis didn't matter anymore. You have to be Métis, you need to understand, and it's in your heart. It's not, it's not about your blood quantum. It's not like I have, I have more Indian blood than you. It's not about being Indian. Yeah. It's not about being French. It's not about being here European or Irish or Scottish. It, it's, it's, it's about being a people with a distinct identity in a culture. And once you're there, you never lose it. You never. I don't care if you're married 10 different times in your life. You'll never lose it. Or your daughter marries out. and your, your, Their daughter marries out. Their daughter marries out. They will never lose their identity. That's why we protect vigorously who that we will always define 
who our people are and who and now they belong to our government. Not outsiders will define that, but ourselves. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like there'll be a, like a new culture sort of over time? Because because we're sort of in a in a regeneration period. You've been you've been very busy over the last twenty years with 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 bringing the Métis government to where it is now mm -hmm. and where you can offer services like that which mm -hmm. weren't offered mm -hmm. at all or anything before. So do you think out of this there's there's going to be sort of a new type of culture that comes out of it? I, like, I, is there I room for that? I don't know. Is there going to be, I, you know, with, I, with the new technology that's happening in the world, with all this stuff that's coming in, I don't think you'd ever lose the essence of your true culture, meaning your fiddle, your, your, your jig, your red river jig, your square dancing, your... Your, your beating and all of these things that are that generate the uh, ideology of, of who you are because it, it's it's embedded in you it's like mm -hmm. like uh, people always wonder why why is it the Métis still do well when there's no assistance to them we don't get you asked me the question earlier because mm -hmm. we were successful because federal government gives us stuff they don't give us anything in fact anything we get the funding in this country okay for example let's look at it this way they there's about $12 billion or more spent on First Nation in Canada. Out of that, we don't even get 1% of that funding. It's 0 .004 something. Okay. So that's how tiny it is. Yeah. Yet, as Métis, we pay over $2.6 billion in taxes in Western Canada. So you look at the, and ask yourself the question, so when government actually finally decides that they're going to take some of your tax dollars and invest it back to you, that's the purpose of what government actually is. Right. They could take the taxes and they use it to run the country. Yeah. And that usually is to take it and, and, and expend it into the, to the most needed areas or supports of those taxpayers. Yeah. That have. So for the Métis, because there's denial on both provincial and federal of recognition, both governments that collect taxes have never given anything back to the Métis people. They, you go into any Métis village, you'll never find programs and services right, yeah. that are designed specifically for us by government. Yet it's our taxes. So our taxes are being used by somebody, but not by us. So when government actually sits down to the table one day and comes to terms that they have to resolve and in, in, in investing into the Métis people back their tax base, it's giving us something back that we contributed. We gave them that tax mm -hmm. dollar. All they're doing is redistributing it back to us. So, so I never want my people to believe that government is handing out something to them or they owe something to government because government gave them something. Government never gave them anything. That's money that's been robbed from them for generations now that it may be a day when we will get our fair share of our taxes back and then it can make, it make changes to our families and our, and our lives where we're going. I don't know if this is jumping too far ahead, but would you would you like to see it in a day where a Métis citizen like myself would pay my taxes solely to the MMF, or is that even feasible? Like that's not even the you're talking about generations to come. I'm talking that's going to happen today. Oh, so yeah. that's where I'm going right now, and that's okay. that's my plan. Okay. In fact, as we sit down with government, negotiate because if you sit down and we ask government, like well, you look at our senior citizens, and oh, I don't care whether you live in Winnipeg or they li live in St. Adolf, or they live in Churchill, or they, or they live in St. Malo, or they live in Brandon. Our, our senior citizens are dying faster than everybody else. And, and the reason that's happening is because they can't afford their medicine. And that's the major one issue. That's why they're dying. And it's not that they're, we're the unhealthiest or we don't care about health. It's just that people can't afford their medicines due to their chronic illnesses. And so it's, it's sad to see that after all their years of 65 years of paying into taxes, basically, right from a child buying a candy, you're paying taxes. So yeah. all these years you pay taxes and if you finally need them, they're not there. So from our side, we're saying, give us our tax dollars back and we'll manage ourselves. Look at what we've done with what little we have. Today we own a multitude of buildings all across Manitoba. And we started off with nothing. When I left Department of Justice in 1996, the Federation started, I had three staff I couldn't pay for, and I couldn't even pay for my own salary. That's all we had, three staff. People today don't know that, and that's not long ago. I'm talking 1996. It's not like yeah. it's 100 years ago. We're yeah. talking, you know, 20, 21 years ago. So when you start looking at it from that perspective today, we have close to 800 staff and growing. And it's not because government gives me something. I'm actually managing services and producing results at a far lower ratio of costs than government it, it would take to spend to deliver it themselves. And that's where our business venture, and that's why I mean it's in our bloodline, it's in our DNA. <laughs> we're entrepreneurs, we're hardworking people. We've yeah. always been, that's what's kept the Métis Nation alive. Trust me, without it, we would have faltered to the wayside and, and, and become, as, as Johnny McDonald said, there'll be no such thing. <laughs> and yeah. so it's, it's because of our entre entrepreneurial spirit, our nation has survived. And we've always been hard workers, and we've always fended for ourselves 
And, and that's what's kept our nation and our growth has happened because we're very entrepreneurial. My, my mindset every day when I get up in the morning is I'm thinking, how am I going to make things move in, in for the betterment? How am I going to advance our nation more? What can I do? What, where, what business transaction should I move on? It's like a chess game. I plan ahead nearly every day when I'm planning where I'm going. I plan 10 years ahead already where I'm going. People don't realize I sit here at night. I'm already looking five, 10 years ahead. I'm not looking at tomorrow only. Because mm. it, to get there, it's going to take me some time. Mm. But the, the changes are just dramatic now. You, we have our own mandated child welfare system. People talked about it. It was just a dream. It's reality. We have our own hunting laws. We're the only ones in ca Canada. There are only indigenous people with our own written hunting laws, with seasons, with limits, tags, all these yeah. rules that apply. And that's just in Manitoba you're Just in Manitoba. About? We're okay. the only ones that have it in Canada. First oh. Nations don't even have this. Thank so, you for that, by the way, as I'm going hunting this yes, year. So. Exactly. <laughs> so if you start looking at all these things that how far we've progressed in such a short span. Yeah. Imagine when the settlement of land claims come. Right now we're using just small amounts of money. Imagine we have the ability to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank. Yeah. Just imagine what the Métis Nation can do yeah. and what we will do, not can. I was going to say, like, because, like, um, well, uh, I think it was last year you came to St. Malo for, that's my local, mm -hmm. and that's what you came for because it says finally it was it's time to start figuring out the negotiations for mm -hmm. the land settlements. Yeah. And you guys were kind of going out there, and it's, and it's more services. I, I heard a lot of talk about more. It's more services, yeah. basically, yeah. that we're going to try to offer. Yeah. So can you give me just like a... Uh, an overlay of kind of what the land, where the land claims is at now, and, and what you're hoping from it. Well, the way the way land claims work is once you win, so for example, a Supreme Court decision as we did, then it's up to the government to try and address that message by the Supreme Court of Canada. The first action is to to come to a term that this is a land claim we're advancing on, mm -hmm. and and then a memorandum of understanding is signed between both parties, which is our government, Métis government, and Canada. So Canada now has got that first phase immediately. Because they prime, sign on, or they sign on right away. Okay. Prime Minister Trudeau made a commitment: if he became prime minister, that he would, in fact, negotiate and settle this claim. Okay. So it happened immediately after after his election. In fact, the following: because prior to that, Conservatives were in power. They were denying that there was a need, there was a claim that existed. Okay. And which is absolutely wrong because there was a claim. It tells you right point in the Supreme Court decision yeah. that there would be a to be a. A really, it'd be a constitutional disaster is what really, the, if I'll use the common language <laughs> that they're trying to say, that th there would be a black eye in Canada if they never settled this constitutional matter. It's a national import, they call it, you know. So, so when you start looking at it from that degree, they, they were just, conservatives were stalling, but so their action was denied there was an actual claim. And the second, once that happened, once they lost election, Trudeau immediately sent a memorandum of understanding. The second phase to that is, is a f it's what's called a framework. Frameworks sometimes take years to make. Okay. We did ours in nine months. The framework is signed, it's in place, it's moving forward. The next now is we're negotiating towards how we're going to come to determine what will be in that, that land claim box. What's going to be in there? Is it going to be economic financial settlement? Is there going to be land entitlements? In, or is there going to be assets that we will be pursuing? There'll be a, there'll be a, a bundle attached to it. Okay. And one of the key things, once you're in this level, you're actually negotiating self-government with Canada now. You're, you're in a different different ballgame altogether. So so we're in the midst now of negotiating with Canada that we want a self-government arrangement with Canada when it comes to health, when it comes to economic development, when it comes to education. So right now, if you look at how Canada operates, there's social transfer funds to every province in this country based on the tax formula. And so these provinces, that's how they get extra dollars from Canada mm. plus the taxes they collect. Well, we're telling Canada, we're a government too. You've got to give us a tax base inside here so we can actually start providing some health services to our people, that we can start taking care of our elders, our, our, our families, and start taking care of our, our health conditions and our chronic illnesses. We're also saying our people need some economic ability and support. Our kids need money in the universities and colleges. We need to give them those tools. They, they have the heart and desire. They just need that little more capital to get and fulfill that, that passion or that dream they're pursuing. So this is the change that's happening as we speak right now. Okay, and yeah. that's, th that's some of the stuff that you want to include in that sort of bundle you were talking about that's, before. It's already right? in the bundle. It's already there. It's already on the talks. Um, so what's, what's the steps at now? Like we're, like we're waiting for... Well, once you get a framework, then, then you, 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 there's different formulas of how you determine the value, right? You can't, we're not going to just say, well, the value at that time was worth this. 
here's 1.4 million acres of land. It was only worth a dollar, two dollars a acre then. You do a calculation to you know, 150 years. That's not what it is. We okay. also had an economic loss there. If you look at the, what we really lost as a nation, that's why I say the Mennonites are the best example because you look at where they are. Imagine if our people were never pushed off the land. Yeah. Imagine our people were allowed to grow. It would be an it. MCU right we, away. We, we, <laughs> we would actually be what, the richest and most powerful people in this province, without doubt. So we wouldn't be the working poor. We would be the people that make and grow this province. We would be the powerhouse of this province. And, and right now, the Mennonites have proven you can be the powerhouse by virtually developing the opportunity that was given to you. That opportunity was robbed from us. That will be part of the calculation of what we lost too. Okay, so we're November 2017 right now. We're waiting to see what the next step mm -hmm. of this framework. But I'm excited. It's, it's, it's like like you were saying, you kind of surprised me a little bit. Like I was, I was waiting on a on a long time for you know the taxation and stuff like that, and that own government to go. I hope I hope it's uh, soon. I hope it's within our well. You know, it's going to be in, it's your lifetime. Without doubt, it's in your lifetime. Without doubt, I'm 57. It's in my lifetime. So so in fact, we we've proven already just by the actions of of ourselves and partnership with the Prime Minister, these frameworks uh, with First Nations, some of them have gone on for 10 or 20 years. Ours is nine months we had it achieved. So we are moving this thing faster than it's ever seen. And so, so we're, we're our, my goal, my goal has always been, and I made a promise to the people when I first got elected in 1997, I said I promised the people this, because at that time the claim was dead. It was sitting in a, in a, mm -hmm. in, in a shelf in, in the lawyer's office in Vancouver. And there was a debt owing of over $300,000 to the lawyer. <laughs> and they were not going to move on it. So we had no money. Yeah. And, and so when I took over, there was no money. But I made a promise to the people, come hell or high water, I will find a way to get this case back into the courthouse. And I will promise you, I will finish the job right to the Supreme Court in Canada. I don't give a care what it takes me, how long it takes me, and what it costs me. So at the end of the day, it costs about $5.7 million at the rates on my own. So we got that. We achieved it. We paid our lawyers up. And so we are able to then take a case all the way and win it. People criticized me during that time, during election campaigns, saying I'm wasting money. I should be taking that money, spending on education for the youth, spending mm -hmm. it on families that need it, instead of going to fight a case that we're not going to win. Well, I promised the people in 97 I would do it, yeah. right, to win or lose. To me, we're going to win no matter what, because we're going to tell the story, what they did to us, what they robbed from us. Even if they would have ruled against us, we still would have won because we would have been able to tell our story. It is, a st and a book will be published, it's a promise I made, there'll be a book published on this land claim, not just about the court case, but the history of it. And I want people to really, to see the truth that we've been able to unravel in the archives, to see the stuff that nobody's ever seen about how the Métis people were treated and what hell your great-grandparents yeah. went through. And, and, and that's why your mama hid, hid herself because it mama was, made, it, yeah, it, yeah, it was yeah. a nightmare for them. It was scary scary and in order to survive they had to hide that's why today people have always known who they were but there are some just finding themselves now and those ones that are finding themselves now need to take that extra effort to really find themselves and in, and, and and if if necessary come to the Métis government read books understand talk to the Métis elders understand why they fought so hard to protect them their identity why are they standing still to this day trying to protect their identity, trying to protect their, their history and their culture. Yeah, what's that like for you? Like, I mean, like, did you know you were Métis your entire life? Like I was born that way, I see, yeah. because I come from a Métis village. Okay. And so in as Métis villages, we knew each other, and most of us were Métis. And actually, we, we thought everybody was Métis until we were, we're so young. You know, think everybody's the same until you leave, right? Yeah. And then you leave, all of a sudden, you see the world is completely different. But when we grew up in Duck Bay and all these Métis communities, we always knew we were. Because that's not that common to, to grow up in, in, you know, in like where you're like, no yeah. one, like, yeah. you know, when that many people are Métis. Like yeah. I was, there's a, there's a, a young lady from Saint-Pierre, where our, the neck of the woods where I'm from, and she was talking about when she went to North Carolina to study, she's like, I never realized how much of a Franco-Métis-ish community we have in, in the Rat River area. Um, until you leave and you come back, or mm -hmm. until you leave and you're like, well, that's this is an entirely mm -hmm. different world. So, but I feel like for for your upbringing, it's it's um, mm. like you were you were, so you, you had that pride from yeah. from from birth. Like I I'm still you know my my dad and I we always joke about it. You know when we pass Louis Louis's house, like there's yeah. Uncle Louis's house yeah, yeah, yeah. as a sort of thing yeah. where we're trying to yeah. to to broach getting closer to being Métis. So yeah. like, but you want to share something? You just said something that really triggered me. That's very important. 
because this is what government had tried right from the 1800s during Riel's era and before Riel's era, where they had Métis, uh, French-speaking Métis trying to fight the English-speaking Métis, and they, they actually divided families. The, uh, the both Northwest and Hudson Bay were yeah. very, very clever in their fur trade industry at times of trying to make sure the Métis never got together. And, and you got to remember from 1816, the Métis stuck together in fur trade. So, but both the Hudson Bay Northwest were dominant forces of making families fight against family. And, and they try to divide us on, on, on the identity and saying, well, these are French Métis and that's English Métis. There's no such thing. Yeah. There's only one Métis nation. And there's French-speaking Métis, there's Soto-speaking Métis, yeah. there's Cree-speaking Métis, and on and on. And there's also the language we create, Michif-speaking Métis, which are the language the Métis nation created. Yeah. So there's, there's no such thing as a French Métis. We <laughs> are French-speaking Métis. Okay. But there's only one Métis nation, right. always. Okay. So don't let no government fool you. Let no universities fool you. St. Boniface at one time actually went and spoke there and had to really, really send the message and educate them about truly being one nation. And I think once, th and, and they grabbed it, trust me, they did. And once they grabbed it, they realized, wow, okay, I'm not a French Métis. I'm a French-speaking Métis because there's only one Métis nation. Yeah. And we're the largest nation, and as I said earlier in my comments, we're probably... The large could be the largest nation in North America, but guaranteed we're the largest nation in Canada. Right. Yeah. So, so this brings on a, on a topic that I know is a little a little a little touchy is that um, is the Union Nationale Métis de Saint Joseph. You probably heard of them, eh? <laughs> it's not, you know, it's, this whole issue of being t it's like, not touchy to me. You know, National Métis has always been around. Yeah. And, and they so will always good, be around. So, is there a good relationship with no, you guys then? I've uh, my door's always been open, right yeah. from the days I became president in 1996. The days I even was sitting in cabinet here as a board of director. My view has always been, and it's the view that's uh, it's a reality, is not make it made up stuff. Uh, Saint Joseph, Saint Joseph, you know, National. If you look at it, you know, National it was very clear. Their mandate, their mandate was culture and religion. They protected those two. Right. And they played a very prominent role of doing so. At one time, they were in the 1800s, they were a political kind of body. And, and, but they too fade away. They have different meetings to try to, to, try to resonate their existence because they, they couldn't just come publicly and say what they were. Ask a lot of the people with Riel's last name how they were treated, you know? Ask, uh, ask, ask Augustine that question, yeah. how, how mean they were to her and all the rest of things that happened to her when she was growing up because of her name. So, so people had to very hide their identity. So, you know, National Machist is the same thing. They, they, they changed their political time frame and, and back in the early the time frame they were being created and became more of a protector of culture and religion if you look at their okay. constitution. Right, yeah. And, and so to me, like I have 144 locals from di different executives from all across the villages where you come from, Duck Bay, Carnival, Wabodin, St. Malo. Yeah. We have elected people that are our grassroots voice. You know, National Machist is one of those entities to me. Okay. They're, they're, they're there to protect the culture and religion to remind us about the struggle, to remind us about the French-speaking struggle that occurred because French-speaking was dominant one time and then all of a sudden it's almost been wiped out. So they, and, and the religion was so important and, and Catholic religion was very prominent in our Métis villages. So that was the essence of a relationship that was there. So to those that try to create this political animosity, uh, they're just people trying to straight something up that doesn't exist. <laughs> I'm just curious. No, no, yeah, it's good I'm to ask the question yeah. because in my view, the door will always be open. I, I met with the recent... Um, with Palette, right? Palette. I, well, Dan Van Dyke. Oh, yes, and I, yeah. I told her, you know, our door is open. If you want to you come in and work with us on French, because they are criticizing us, for example, not having enough French language. Yeah, I saw that. But yeah. we have no funding from Canada for French language. I get zero from French language. Okay. So I, I just not... I don't have that type of rich resource to translate everything in French. Yeah. You know, and but it really I should translate everything in Michif because that's our real language. <laughs> so, but the point at the end of the day is that as you look at it historically, they, there always will be uh, the federation will always have its doors open for you in national Michif. How they want to enter the door is their business. Mm -hmm. If they decide to say, well, I've decided I'm be a political voice now. Well, it's like saying you can't start say, well, today. I, I, I own, I own um, uh, a Chev, but I'm going to turn that Chev into a Ford. He ain't yeah. going to do it. You have a Chev, he's <laughs> a Chev, right? Yeah. So, so my, my point is that, you know, National Machis has defined itself. Right. And, and, if you, and, and they run, and they vote in our elections. They, uh, my chief of staff is a member of, you know, National Machis. Mm. 
my 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 uh, members that sit around uh, Andrew Carriers, my minister of Lower, uh, Pemmican Publications and uh, uh, Residential School. He's a member of you know National Mitches. So okay. they sit in cabinet, so of our government. But it's it's because I think they they themselves have at times try to figure out how they can find resource base maybe or find yeah. uh, purpose or somebody else is trying to lead them into creating uh, uh, a different identity. So, uh, um, and I'll give you the best one, the government of Manitoba. When they went to court against us in the land claims, they argued vigorously, MMF was wrong, the wrongful institution body to take this case on, that there was other institution that represented the voice of the Métis people and MMF did not, and uh, not, is not the only one. And you know, National Machist was referenced, and and Métis Rights Coalition, a small little group out of out yeah. of uh, that fights us on hunting, that believe that they don't have to define themselves. But the point at the end of the day is that government was using those bodies to try to throw out a court case to mm -hmm. rob us of our future, and and to rob us of our right to win our case. And guess what? Unanimous of every judge sitting in Supreme Court of Canada ruled against them and said, no, MMF is the rightful institution to bring this thing forward as a rightful government to bring this forward. Right. So government has typically tried to divide going back in 1800s, yeah. using the Northwest Company in the Essen Bay, to now even the governments of today looking at different ways of how they can weaken the Métis Nation as it gets stronger and stronger and stronger every year. We have 3,500 people estimated our annual assembly. And we have the International Machist can maybe have 30 or 40 people at their annual assembly. Mm -hmm. So it's, and, and I don't want to disrespect the International Machist, yeah. but it's a different purpose and a different reason they exist. Right. And so, but they always be part of the family in my eyes, always. Right, because right. like they represent, because is it divisive in your mind that they're only representing French or is, can that be a strong component of the MMA? There's no French Métis. There's no Métis, there's French-speaking Métis. Right. But so from their perspective, they were trying to find a carve-out of how they can get a piece of the land claim action. Mm. And so, so again, it's, it's, it, it is just at times when people misuse what they're there for and misuse their constitution. Their constitution is clear. If they were going to be the representative body, uh, they would have done that decades ago like yeah. we have been at it for six, since 1967 and prior but 67 when it got incorporated so the federation has been there and fighting the fight ever since no one has ever come and fought that fight as we have uh, regarding the political fight i'm talking about mm -hmm. protecting our lands fighting for hunting rights fighting for our children and, and that are being stolen from our families etc etc nobody's ever fought that fight with the federation and when i when i was fighting land claims when I was struggling to find money to pay our lawyers, I didn't know where to go. And I didn't see, you know, national the ship rip, rip my door down. I didn't see yeah. these other groups come and say, here's money, we're uh, fundraising for the land claim. Not one, buddy, not, nobody gave me one cent. As the leader, my job was to find that money, and we did as a government. Yeah. And we paid it off, and we won the biggest case in history. There you go. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I really do. Um, uh, I do want to end it here, but yeah. there's, just, sorry, there's, sorry. there's a little part of me that just wants to ask, like, um, you know, almost just uh, in a in a defense sort of sort of way. I, yeah. I, I completely understand what you say, so I hope none of this sounds yeah. contrarian. But you know, to the to the people who feel Métis pride and w within the boundaries that you've talked about don't fit within that, um, what do you think it's like for them? You know what I mean? Like, let's let's just to empathize. Like, you know, what do you well, we think it's like? It's if uh, I have to empathize with those people that are actually of mixed blood somewhere in Eastern Canada that, that want to be Métis, okay, I think it's important for them to understand their history first before they say I want to be Métis because they're, they're misconstruing the word Métis meaning mixed blood that you're Métis. I think it's important for them to understand their cultural connection. Where do they come from? They come from the First Nation where they claim that. Which First Nation? Is it the Mohawks? Is it the, is it the Ojibwe in Ontario? Where is that? Find that culture and that identity where you belong because when you start looking at your history and your culture you're not going to find Métis Nation. You're not. If you you're gonna find mixed blood, right. but that's don't don't mix up the big hem with the small hem. Yeah. <laughs> There's the big hem is the Métis Nation, which are protected and have fought and given their lives to to define themselves in the very Confederation Constitution of this country, and those um, big hems fit under Section 35 of the Constitution as a rights-bearing people. Those we gave our lives and we fought for that, and we will protect that. And those small hems that are mixed blood. That's a story yet to be told for them. 
and that I that's up to them to define that but I'm not gonna stick into the world it's there my job is to protect my people and my nation and I'll do that with every ounce of power I have Through this conversation, I saw many things from a different light. I appreciate being able to sit down with him and pick his brain. I hope he'll let me do it again. I invite you now to listen to quite a powerful song. It's called Sauvage by Jocelyn Baribo. Have a listen, and we'll talk to Jocelyn after about writing this song in the middle of a canoe trip. Grand sapin vert sous une pleine lune reflétée sur la rivière, et voilà que mon cœur tombe pour un homme pas comme moi, ni comme mon père. Toi avec ta peau blanche, ta langue étrangère. Qu'il sauvage qui m'abandonne au vent de ce rivage avec notre fils, ni blanc ni indien, un bébé métif, un petit vaurien. C'est qui grand sapin vert sous une pleine lune reflétée sur la rivière 
Et voilà que mon cœur tombe Pour un homme pas comme moi Ni comme mon père Toi avec ta peau blanche Ta langue étrangère Et voilà, ici avec Jocelyne Baribo I'm c'est la deuxième fois que je suis ici dans la salle um, qui a l'art de Gérard Larache. Um, he's also, his music is also the theme music pour tout le oh, podcast. Cool. So, I just like, I like coming oui, back oui. here. C'est nice. Um, so, on vit juste d'attendre uh, Sauvage. Je veux dire le nom, quelqu'un. C'est juste oui, Sauvage, c'est Sauvage. sauvage. Ben, oui, euh, au début, c'était l'apostrophe Sauvage, mais le Sauvage, c'était pas facile à dire, alors on a changé yeah. ça Sauvage. <laughs> um, um, Pourrais-tu décrire... Um, où la chanson a été écrite, parce que j'entends « I hear that's an interesting story », et c'est à propos de quoi? Ben, si j'avais passé euh, pour une première, euh, un premier voyage en canot pour, euh, il y a plusieurs années de ça, avec la Brigade de la Rivière-Rouge, puis j'avais passé une semaine euh, sans électricité dans un canot avec une gang de gens que je ne connaissais pas vraiment. Euh, et là, je me suis trouvée toute seule à côté euh, du lac Quairico. Puis euh, j'ai trouvé ça tellement, tellement joli. Puis le silence qui était là, c'était incroyable. Puis j'ai eu genre, euh, je ne peux pas décrire, c'était autre que dire, c'était vraiment une vision d'une femme autochtone qui tombait amoureuse d'un voyageur. Et là, j'ai tout vu l'histoire dans, dans ma tête, puis que le voyageur quittait pour aller retourner chez ses, euh, sa famille blanche pour l'abandonner avec son bébé métis. Alors... Euh, je trouvais ça, tu sais, j'étais comme traumatisée en même temps que j'avais cette vision-là. Et euh, la chanson est venue très, très vite. Euh, oh yeah. Ce qui m'arrive pas souvent. C'était très rare dans ma vie que je compose quelque chose si, si passionné, si, si difficile, mais si vite aussi. Alors, c'était vraiment une expérience intéressante, je trouve. Yeah, comme, ouais. um, moi, je connais assez de, de, de ta musique, parce que c'est certainement la chanson que, comme, je l'ai attendue avec um, The Symphony Orchestra. Ouais. Je ne vais jamais oublier ça. <rire> like, une, une chanson métisse comme ça, qui était tellement fort comme ça. Like... C'est livrer la chanson, c'est difficile. T'sais, quand je la okay. chante aussi, c'est vraiment se mettre dans, dans ce personnage-là, cette personne-là, puisque c'est des émotions qui, qui certainement ont été vécues par beaucoup de monde. C'est pas juste chez, euh, chez les gens euh, autochtones que, que les, ces gens ont été abandonnés. Et ça arrive dans la vie quand même maintenant de nos jours, mais ça, c'était tellement épique là, dans, dans, ma, dans mon rêve. Euh, euh, J'ai failli, même quand je la chante souvent, j'étais en larmes. Puis yeah. ça a toujours été comme ça, depuis que je l'ai composé. Puis il y a toujours des gens dans la salle en larmes. <rire> puis je me sens tout le temps, tu sais, fatiguée, fatiguée à la fin. C'est 3 minutes 40 secondes de, de intense émotion. Puis je la vis à chaque fois que je la, que je la chante. Puis je l'apprécie beaucoup, la chanson. Cool. Euh, yeah. oui. Il y a tellement une passionnée de la chanson, so on, on l'apprécie. Um, aussi, uh, j'attends aussi, oh, tu m'as dit, pas j'attends oui. comme des grands <rire> rumors, oui, oui. Uh, tu m'as dit il y a une semaine, uh, <rire> que, que avec tes expériences, que tu cherches encore, tu n'as pas été trouvé tes documents parce que tu ne sais pas si tu es métisse encore. Je ne sais pas, puis euh, au fond, ça fait presque dix ans que je veux le savoir, que je... Je voudrais savoir, puis que j'ai à quelques reprises rempli les feuilles pour les amener euh, au centre la, du patrimoine, puis yeah. que j'ai failli… Qui est comme « right there », on est littéralement… Et quoi, yeah. j'ai travaillé yeah. ici au CCFM pendant trois ans et demi. <rire> J'étais là tous les jours, euh, et j'ai juste trop peur de le savoir. Je veux, ou je respecte tellement euh, ce peuple que, que j'ai comme peur de ne pas faire partie de, de ça. Puis… Yeah. Alors, c'est peut-être plus par ça que, que je n'arrive pas à amener les feuilles. Puis cette année, je vais composer euh, beaucoup. Euh, c'est pour un prochain album. Puis je vais faire ces recherches-là. Je fais ça, la, la de, les devoirs de, de ce projet-là, ça va être d'aller apprendre à mon sujet, yeah. d'aller voir. Parce que dans ma famille, il y a des gens qui racontent des histoires que s'il y a un des membres de mon arrière-arrière-grand-père qui s'est battu soit avec ou contre Louis Riel. Comme c'est deux différents, dans la même famille, deux différentes histoires. Wow, yeah. Alors, qu'est-ce qu qui, qu qui est vrai là-dedans? J'ai vraiment peur. Tu sais, j'ai peur de savoir parce que je ne veux pas avoir honte euh, de mon héritage. Yeah. Euh, mais on verra, tu sais, on verra ce, qui, yeah. ce, qui, ce que ça va donner. Puis je pense que ça va être inspirant quand même de vivre les émotions, de, de yeah. savoir finalement est-ce que c'est le cas, est-ce que je suis de ce métier ou non. C'est super mais, intéressant, ça, mais... comme, comme, comme idée parce que. Um, 
sais, dans le temps, on, quand on pense à un ami d'un métier, whatever, ouais, not, oui. whatever le cas, c'est, moi, je dis que c'est pas important, whatever the case, parce que ami, ami, c'est ami. Ouais. Um, mais dans, dans le temps, if there was that distinction or whatever, they could be adopted in the community or something ouais, like that. Ouais. So, c'est so comme, je pense, peut-être on n'a peut-être pas accès, on, on a peut-être, je sais pas, Dis-moi, tu penses que tu en as J'ai plein de gens, amis euh, métisses, qui m'ont dit déjà, comme, arrête de t'inquiéter. Comme, es, évidemment, tu es passionné par notre culture. Tu fais partie de, de l'équipe quand même. Comme yeah. qui, yeah. pas nécessairement l'équipe, mais oui, comme, comme ami de. Puis, euh, euh, j'aime autant euh, travailler avec des, des gens de tout partout. Alors, c'est. Je sais que ça va être correct. Je sais que je, je vais en sortir, peu importe le, le résultat, je vais être correct parce que je, yeah. je vais toujours avoir cet amour-là là, pour, pour ces gens-là. Alors, je ne pense pas que ça va être la fin du monde, mais… Mais on a… On, excuse? Non, non, mais c'est ça. C est, c est, on, va, on verra, on verra. Cool. Uh, mais merci beaucoup pour merci. ton temps. Puis, uh, we're waiting for the next album. OK, I'm on it. OK, salut. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, President Chartrand, for your time and openness, and Jocelyn for the song. Très apprécié. We have one more scheduled podcast left after this. Then we will see if we can garner enough financial support to make more episodes. If you learned anything, liked the interviews, or discovered something about yourself, this podcast was made on the budget of a broke student. So please, consider donating through a Patreon account. It's on our website, and it's super easy. I'd appreciate the support, like the two bucks we got from Kevin. He made suggestions for future episodes, and he shared a little bit about himself. I love that. Share your stories on beingmetis.ca, and think about throwing a few bucks online towards our cause. It'll help keep the Metis conversation going. For Being Metis, I'm Barney Moore, and thanks for listening. À la prochaine.